Hello everyone and welcome to the Dear Future Hubby Podcast. I am your host Therese Cerise and normally what I do is read a poem from my book of poetry entitled A Strong-Willed Mind Healing Scars Over Time Through My Poetry. However, I love to talk to y'all. So today I'm just going to talk. <laughs> I hope that's okay. <sighs> so this is something that I have discovered that I really need to stop doing. Have y'all ever heard yourself or seen or paid attention to whenever you are in the middle of doing something? Let's say you're trying to write a text or let's say that you're trying to write a letter um, or you're trying to get a resume together, whatever it is. And there's an option to save your work. But for whatever reason, you get sidetracked and you think when I come back to it, it'll be there. And so whether it's an oversight, an undersight, or you just plain forgot, you don't save your work. So I wanted to talk about that because in a lot of ways, when we are either journaling or let's say we, I have a whole lot of apps that I utilize. Um, And so I'll be in the middle of a project. And I'm really thinking by the time that I'm completed with this project, I won't forget to save it. And let's say I'm brainstorming and I'm deep in thought and it's some really good ideas that I'm trying to grasp as I'm putting this project together. And then I get a phone call. The conversation is supposed to last maybe a couple of seconds, but it turns into a two hour conversation or there's a knock on the door. And I'm thinking, No big deal. But next thing I know, I get distracted doing something else. And before long, when I look up, all that work that I put in is now gone. Let me say it again. All that work that I put in is now gone. And so this is something that I know that I need to start truly becoming more mindful of. Save your work. Save your energy. Do you know that every debate does not have to be won? Do you know that every idea does not necessarily have to be executed? I've heard people say, oh, it must not have been meant. No, that's not always the case. Um, sometimes it's just human error. <laughs> We're so quick to want to blame stuff on other situations or other things. And it's really just human error. We can make those same mistakes when it comes to our relationships. We can think that having a candid conversation at a certain time of the day or night is something wise to do. And our intentions may be pure, but instead of putting a quote unquote pin in it, pondering on it, counting up the cost, we opt not to save the conversation 
for a better time. And then we wonder why certain conversations escalate into arguments. Well, maybe it wasn't meant for us to have that conversation or could it have been the timing of it all? See, just because you are in the mental capacity to talk about your future. Somebody else may be wired differently. And so they may only want to focus on the present. Just because you're in the capacity to think about where it is that you want to travel and making sure that your passport stays current and what country you're going to go to next and or at all. They may be thinking, how in the world are they going to pay their electricity bill this month? Just because you're in the capacity of soaring, so to speak. Maybe right now all they can do is celebrate the fact that they're getting out of bed. I've heard people say, your failure to plan is not my emergency. And I used to chuckle at that statement all the time. And now I'm taking time out to really think about that. And it's true. When we fail to plan for anything, it's not someone else's emergency, nor should we make them feel guilty because they don't have that same level of urgency that we do. It's not fair. And so as I am like taking this whole journey in my singleness, dating, all of that, courting at this point is considered courting, I guess. But anyhow, (laughs) but nevertheless, I'm learning a lot and I'm learning a lot about me. And guess what else I have learned? Some of the ways that I was brought up are not conducive to the type of life that I want to live. Let me say that again. Some of the ways that I was brought up, I am learning that they are not conducive to the way that I want to live. I did an episode on nagging. If you have not heard that episode, I would encourage you to look it up. And I talked about, if I can recall this correctly, what nagging is like for a man. But did you know that men could nag too? I don't know why we always try to do this whole gender specific thing. Like it only applies to a woman or it only applies to a man. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. Men nag too. Women nag, but men nag too. Now for the record, let me tell you what nagging means. Because for those of you that don't know, I love to give the definition of some of the words that I use and not take it for granted or even take, not even make an assumption that everybody understands what that word means. So nagging is constantly harassing someone to do something. Persistently painful or worrying. And this is according to the Oxford Languages Dictionary. It means to annoy or To nag means to annoy or irritate a person with persistent fault finding or continuous urging. It can be persistently painful, troublesome or worrying or worry. Worrisome is what we're going to say. 
And so anytime that a person is nagging, and it could be something simple, y'all. It could be something, well, you know, they may call it simple. You may be like, oh, you just been difficult. But anytime that that has taken place where someone is nagging at you or trying to make you feel guilty because they want something done when they want it done. And if you don't do it, they start trying to guilt trip you into making you feel some type of way until it's done. That's nagging. I've heard it my whole life. All I wanted you to do is take out the trash. There's nothing hard with taking out the trash. You just, I don't know why it is. You can do everything else, but you can't do that. It takes a couple of minutes for you to go take out the trash. Just take out the trash. I don't feel like. And the whole time, whoever the the person is listening to that is like, if you would just shut up, then I would probably take out the trash. Sometimes we can save certain conversations for another time. It's not always as urgent as we think it is. In fact, hypothetically speaking, maybe, just maybe, if we put some of those thoughts and ideas on the back burner and really counted up the cost and weighed our perspective, then we could look and recognize that, wait a minute, now that I've kind of taken a moment, I like this concept better than I liked the original concept. Or I like this way of approaching my concerns better than how I initially thought it would be best to approach those concerns. When you look over your life, can you think about some of the arguments that you've had with people that you're just like, child, that was so petty. That was so, so freaking petty. Like, I really, truly could have saved my energy for something far more important. Why did I even go there? Was it really that crucial? What else was going on in the background that caused me to react and respond the way that I did? So one of the things that I am enjoying while I'm going on this journey is paying very, 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 very close attention to my tone, to certain conversations that I'm having with people, um, how I handle, I'm going to call it quote unquote constructive criticism, because, you know, we hear that that is supposed to be constructive criticism. But let me let y'all know what constructive criticism sounds like or what the definition is. If there is a definition, because it might not be one. It's providing feedback in a manner that acknowledges both the positive and where there is room for improvement instead of solely focusing on the negatives. The focus of providing constructive criticism is offering useful advice that can be implemented for better results. Some might view constructive criticism as a form of positive feedback. But how many people do you know that when they hear constructive criticism, they take it negatively? So I have been guilty of that on so many different levels. So now what I'm learning how to do is to expand how I think, to be more open minded and to at least try 
to see things from the other person's perspective. Because in doing so, I am able to learn something about me. Not only that, if it's applied correctly, I'm able to learn something about that particular individual. So now what I'm learning how to do is that even though, yes, we should say we should just kind of put some of this stuff, meditate on it, count up the cost, figure out different brainstorming is like a miraculous thing. If you think about it, when you take time out, but if you start to apply that to your relationships and you're just like, you know what, I'm going to journal. So as I'm journaling, this is how I feel right now about this individual. This is why I feel like this about this individual. Let's take a moment. Let's take a true moment. I want you to take this journey with me for a moment because I've done this with my parents. I've done this with my children. I've done this with my man. I've done this with my grandparents. I've done this with my aunts and my uncles. I have done this with friends and family alike. And what I'll do and this, I haven't done this my whole life. So let's not get that misunderstood. It's just a practice that I've learned that I'm starting to do more. So if my first reaction is to be on the defense, why is that? Could it be that that's a learned behavior? Could it be that I have, for whatever reason, been in so many atmospheres where my defenses had to be up? Or at least that's what I told myself. That's the story that I told myself is that I needed to keep my guards up. Could it be that because I've kept my guards up for so long that I'm deaf to a lot of constructive criticism because all I hear is the negative undertone? But if I were to debunk, let's look up what debunk means. For those of you, oh, let me tell you, um, I got the constructive criticism definition. Um, It's, I got it from, it just says editors, y'all, businessterms.org. Okay, so as far as debunking, let's find out what that means. So debunk, according to the Oxford Languages Dictionary, means Expose the falseness or hollowness of a myth, an idea, or a belief. To reduce the inflated reputation of someone, especially by ridicule. So, could it be that it was necessary for me to debunk that stinking thinking and take time out instead to listen to another person's perspective? And not have that mindset of either I'm right or you're wrong or you're right and I'm wrong. How come it just can't see be let's find the happy median and how come we just don't throw right out the window, right or wrong out the window? One thing that my 21 year old has been very instrumental concerning my growth is how we communicate. And when he observes how I've handled a situation, he gives his feedback and I do the same for him. So I've been told that sometimes in certain dialogues, you can't take the stance 
of talking at someone, because when you're talking at someone, you're not entering that conversation to glean from them and to gain wisdom and knowledge about them. But when you're speaking to someone, this is when you gain insight and knowledge and hopefully some wisdom so that you'll know how to better manage your relationship with that individual and vice versa. Now, this could be applied to your romantic relationships, your platonic relationships, your work relationships, just your relationships all the way around. But learning someone, in my opinion, is far more beneficial than making the assumption that you already know that individual because your assumption could be wrong. You know what they say about assumption. It makes an ass out of you or me. So what I'm learning how to do, I'm learning how to sift through what is emotional, what is an emotional response and what is a wise response. And what I can honestly tell you is that my conversation has grown leaps and bounds with the people that I'm surrounded by on a regular basis. I had the honor and the privilege. There's certain people that I literally, when I have conversations with them, I light up. My heart lights up. My mind lights up. Everything about me lights up just because that's just what they bring to the table. And so I had a dialogue with my aunt the other day, my aunt Tina, and we had this conversation and we we talk about everything, y'all. But we had this conversation. And one reason why I love having talks with her is because. I get to be who I am. <laughs> you know, certain people that you're around, it's not saying that you, you know, got a decrease, but sometimes you may find yourself doing that. You may find yourself dimming your light for this so someone else can be comfortable. Now, I wouldn't recommend it, but it's not that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen. And so one thing that I love about being around my aunt and talking to my aunt is that I get to be my authentic self. Whether my light is shining bright or is dim as all get out, I still get to be who I am. And I still get to have those candid conversations. And we are able to agree to disagree in such a loving way that there is no bitterness or anything like that. We can have a whole nother conversation 30 minutes later on a whole nother platform and there's no love lost. And those type of relationships are very rare. And so um, we were having this dialogue. And another reason why I enjoy, I, I've got to get on the podcast, but that's a side note. But one of the other reasons why I enjoy talking to her is because my aunt knows my story. She knows everything, literally. Um, and so to hear her perspective of a sentence that I may share and to get that wisdom and that godly insight of this is the reason why you wrote that sentence or this is the reason why you felt this way. It helps me to grow. It helps me to understand. Like I've had to have some very, very rough conversations um, in the past few months because I'm trying to discover who was I meant to be before all of these distractions began to manifest. What is it that I bring to the table? What 
is it that makes me authentic? Not trying to compare myself to anyone else on this planet, just trying to become the best version of myself as a child, as a mother, as a sibling, as a girlfriend, as a future wife. I am doing all that I can as a niece, as a grandchild. I'm doing all that I can to learn the dynamic of who I am unapologetically. But even in doing that, I'm finding that I'm doing a whole lot of apologize. <laughs> Whoo, Lord have mercy. But yes, I'm doing a whole lot of apologizing because I didn't know myself back then. I didn't know who I was back then. And I'm discovering myself now. I did not recognize how sensitive, how really, really sensitive I was until I started pulling back layers. And I discovered that I truly do have a fragile, pure heart. And that because I have a fragile, pure heart, I cannot allow certain people in my circle. But I didn't have that knowledge when I was 16 years old. I didn't have that knowledge when I was 20 years old. I didn't even have that knowledge when I was 30 years old. So people on the outside were quick to call me naive. And in a lot of ways, I was. But it's because I never took the time out to learn about me. I took other opinions of other people's opinions of who they thought I was and adopted them as my own because I didn't know how to journey through discovering my true identity. So when I say some of the beliefs that I was raised up on are not conducive to who I aspire to be today, it's not... It's not an expression of unappreciation toward my parents. I believe that they did the best that they could do with what they knew. But I'm in a different season of my life and I understand that therapy is vital for my healing process. I understand that who I converse with on a regular basis is conducive to my growth process. I understand the magnitude of words. I didn't know that all the time, but it's amazing how when you start looking up definitions of certain words, you start to realize that people were speaking things over you that they should not have. Let me tell y'all something. So my mother, whether it was intentional or unintentional, and I truly believe that it was unintentional because at the time she was like, it's just the cutest thing. It was just the cutest thing to her, right? So one day I made a conscious decision to look up my nickname. Now, I'm being extremely transparent, so I really do hope that I'm not doing this in vain because I'm about to share a testimony with y'all. But I know now how important words are. So I literally was like, huh, why? You? And I asked her what the backdrop was of why she called me this particular nickname. I'm gonna share with y'all in a minute, just hold your horses. 
And she said, because every time I would put you in your crib, you would puckle up in a little ball. So the name that she gave me as a nickname was Puckle. Let me tell y'all what Puckle means by definition. So by definition, it means a mischievous or evil spirit. So this is my mother. And you're telling me or you're calling me a mischievous or evil spirit. It says, especially with reference to a person's face, tight, it's more, um, tightly gather or contract into wrinkles or small folds, a tightly gathered wrinkle or small fold, especially on a person's face. What else? Hold on. I'm still looking, y'all. So the one that I looked up, because for some reason it's not coming up as like it was last time. They've gotten... Oh, they're giving me pucker. I said puckle. Hold on, y'all. Let me get it right. Okay, so it's puckle. I need y'all to listen very carefully. There are words. There's power in words. I can laugh about it now, but I promise you it wasn't funny when I discovered the definition. It says puckle. The devil. Satan. Did you hear that again? The devil, Satan. So my mother, not knowing the power of words. It says the definition of puckle in the dictionary is a mischievous or evil spirit. The other one says. <laughs> now, that was Collins English Dictionary that talked about the evil spirit. And then Wiktionary says the devil, Satan. So my mother, not knowing the meaning of this word, called me Satan. That's what my mother called me. Not knowing what she was calling me. So imagine me growing up and relatives saying, hey, Puckle. They were calling me evil. Hey, Puckle. They were calling me Satan. And I didn't even know it until I was a young adult. And so a lot of people would tell me back then that I always looked mean. And I've also heard people say it's not what they call you it's what you answer to. Well, at that time in that season of my life, I was answering to being called Satan and didn't even know it. Why am I telling you this? I don't know. It was just laid on my heart. <laughs> but no, words hold power. That's why I'm telling you this. So it is important to sometimes think about the words that we are speaking to other people. Think about the nicknames that we are giving other people, children included. Being mindful of how it is that we're conveying to them our emotions and our feelings. Because we have the power to hurt people, whether intentionally or unintentionally, by the words that we speak over them. Now, I was able to laugh about it. I was able to bring it to my mom's attention and tell her, you know, you've been calling me Satan my whole life. And then wondering why it is that I had such a nasty attitude. Huh? Go figure. 
Well, I thought, and see, that's the other thing. I believe there's somewhere in the Bible that says that we're not supposed to lean on our own understanding. So when my mother leaning on her own understanding in her ignorance, I literally became a, a target, so to speak, verbally. And was named the very thing that I'm trying not to be like, which is Satan. And so my behavior was a reflection in some ways, not always, but in some ways, my behavior during that season of my life and my own ignorance because of what I was being called an evil spirit. And there were times that she would turn her mouth, you know, her, her lips up at me, didn't even realize that you're doing that. And I'm seeing this as a teenager, as a child, you're looking at me with disgust in your eyes. And I'm trying to find my way, not getting any type of guidance on how to do that, but being treated a certain way and spoken to a certain way, not even having the full knowledge that I literally was a victim of a word curse <laughs> and didn't even know it. Having to unlearn that so that I could truly become who it is that I was always predestined to be, and it definitely was never Satan. So we've got to be mindful of the words that come out of our mouth. And no, we're not gonna get it 100% every single time. That's the reason why practice makes perfect, because we're not gonna get it 100%. There's gonna be times that we truly just mess up. There's gonna be times that we truly just say the wrong thing at the wrong time. Trust me, I've been guilty of that too many times to count. But one of the reasons why I started implementing, because if you've been following my podcast for a while, you do know I have not always taken time out to give you the synonyms of words or give you the definition of words. But I started to realize that that's actually not wise. And one of the reasons why one of the things we're known for on the Dear Future Hubby podcast is being raw, which stands for real and wise. And so I wanted to start providing definitions because it's important for us to know what words are we speaking over people intentionally or unintentionally? What are we putting in the atmosphere? What type of conversations are we having in public and behind closed doors? What kind of thoughts are we thinking? Can't some of this be saved for later when we have time to delve into why it is we're thinking this way? Where we got this thought pattern from? Do we need to keep it in this relationship or that relationship? Is it conducive to our mental health? Is it conducive to our growth? What can we learn from a different approach? A lot of times I try to have life lessons with my children. I try to have those moments where it may seem bad at the time, but I literally try to pivot that and make it seem, make it, turn it into a life lesson. Um, and let me let y'all know what pivot means. So whenever I say I try to pivot that, it says the central point pin shaft on which um, turn on. An example is he swung around and pivoted on his heel let me see what else. A key player position specifically. Function, effect, shoot. So I try my best to pin that and make it a situation where, what are we going to learn from this? What can you learn from this? 
So maybe one day I have my son on here and, and I'll let y'all, I'll let him share with you an experience that he had. Um, huh. And he learned from it. And the lesson that he learned has gotten him where he is now. But I didn't pass judgment. I might have laughed a little, you know, because that's just his, I'm his mama. So I'm, I'm a, I didn't mean to laugh at his pain, but I did laugh for a moment. You know, I had to. I had to repent. <laughs> for those of you that don't know, it means to turn away from. I did have to repent for laughing. But at the same time, um, he used the negative and turned it into something extremely positive. And maybe that's what I'm trying to convey today. Is that you're not going to always be praised. There are going to be people that, whether they're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, um, are going to say things about you that are going to do things towards you that are going to speak certain things over you. But you don't have to react or respond initially the way that you may want to. You might want to put a pin in that and figure out a way. So do y'all remember when Tabitha Brown, if you don't know, I'm going to share this with you. When Wendy Williams came for Tabitha Brown. Concerning her, Tabitha Brown has been married to Chance Brown for many, many years. I believe it's like 30 plus years, if I'm not mistaken. Please forgive me if I am. But anyhow, um, Wendy Williams, her marriage did not work. And so she made a comment about Tabitha Brown. And it was a, it was a slight, in my personal opinion toward Tabitha for taking a moment to retire her husband. But the thing of it is, Wendy didn't know the backdrop. She didn't know the pillow talks that Tabitha and Chance had had. She didn't know the laboring and the sacrifices that he made for his wife to, for her dream to, come a, to become a reality. She didn't know none of that. But she projected her opinion about how Tabitha was retiring her husband and attempted a word curse, but Tabitha rebuked that. So let me tell y'all what rebuke means. So anytime, because you might find yourself doing it directly or indirectly. But to rebuke is to express sharp disapproval or criticism of someone because of their behavior or their actions. An expression of sharp disapproval or criticism. So... But she did it in such a godly way, <laughs> in my opinion. And she pretty much told Wendy that she felt sorry for her not to know the type of love that she has for her husband and vice versa, the type of love that he has for her and that she is praying that one day she'll experience that. Because one thing that I admire of any married couple, the man's. I'm talking about David Mann and Tamala Mann. Um, I admire when I see where the man is loving his wife in ways that seems like it can only be a dream. The way Tabitha Brown and Chance Brown love each other, the way Tamala Mann and David Mann love each other, the way the Ellis's love each other. Devell and KK, the way they love each other. I admire that. 
I admire it. And so to see how Tabitha came to her, <laughs> she came to herself in terms of telling Wendy about herself. <laughs> But she did it in such a godly fashion, honey. She did it in such a godly fashion. I don't know if I would have had that same outcome. But, you know, to God be all the glory, I have not been in that position to have to come for anybody trying to come for me. So, but the way she did it, she did it with dignity. She did it with so much class. But then she also prayed for her enemy. But nine times out of ten... She took time out to weigh her words before she said them. Because sometimes, you know, depending on what you got going on, you might just be reactive instead of being proactive. And so by being reactive, you may say the wrong thing that you can never take back. By being proactive is when you're like, you know what? I hear you talking. But before I say something, give me a moment to think about this and how I want to best approach it so that we can have a a healthy outcome. It may or may not work for you. But what's the harm in trying? Some things need to be saved for another day. I'm just saying. So I hope that you have the most amazing evening, morning, afternoon, whenever it is that you hear this episode. But please, please, please do me a huge favor and take care of yourself because there is only one you. Y'all have a blessed one. Bye. And thank you so much for listening.